0: That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to
1: something to we wrestle Well, you know. That's not a rib. She it. She it. <laughs> what a rib. No, you have a me There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, See there? I was there. Say the I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Of shit. I ain't scared to shock I I you, you. You, Bruce. Ah, look You take the cheese. Double cheeseburger. You take the grain. Double cheese. you know. And then double mayo. You know it's called chicken salad. Double
0: onion, double Hey, okay. hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Nothing. Been a really boring week. And, um, just, you know, I mean, it's one of the, one of those weeks where just nothing really is happening in your life.
0: Well, of course you're being facetious. What a great week to be a wrestling fan. Lots of stuff happening everywhere. The NWA taping some stuff at the first of the week. Of course that other new show on Wednesday, NXT had a great show on Wednesday and how about tonight? It's the big night, man. WWE on Fox. Nobody thought this was ever going to be a real thing. Not, not cable, but broadcast television. Did you ever expect this? I mean, I know you you've done some big stuff and there were Saturday night main events back on NBC, but a regular show on broadcast. Did you see it coming?
1: Well, I got to tell you, Conrad, since, you know, I really don't talk about the current product and everything, but if there was a week and a time to make an exception, this would be it. Uh, an incredibly exciting week. And I've been through milestones in in my career where I thought, holy shit, man, I can't get any bigger and or better than this. So, and and you just kind of keep topping that. And this is one of those weeks. Absolutely exciting. Um, again, everybody's in the game. The the game's getting just a lot. (laughs) A lot more exciting, more choices for the fan and for the viewer, man, and get out and do it, but tonight on Fox Network, whew, um, it's amazing, and I, I'm about as stiked, stoked.
0: Yeah. See, I'm, I'm stoked Let's go with stiked. You're stoked and you're psyched. You're, you're stoked. Yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. What? I, I'm not going Sheesh.
1: I'm not partial. yeah, man, shit. We had lunch together. But this is, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible, and it is um, shit, you and I are doing this at whatever time in the morning just because it's the only time that we both have, which has kind of been a little bit busy and a lot going on, and it's one of the best times to ever be in the business.
0: Well, and we hope that everybody tunes in to uh, SmackDown tonight. Obviously, it's a big moment for wrestling for it to be back on broadcast. I'm excited about it. You should be too. They've announced a whole host of stuff, but the biggest of which, though, is the announcement that The Rock is returning, and uh, what a big moment that's going to be after a bit of an absence from WWE TV. You know, if you believe the rumor and innuendo. Ticket sales started slinging like hotcakes once they announced The Rock. Everybody's going to be tuned in tonight. You should be, too. And we should also mention that uh, this is a pretty monumental show that we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about a different time in the company. And uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We're going all the way back to No Mercy 2004, which went down on October 3rd from the Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So yesterday was the 15-year anniversary It drew about half a house, only 10,000 folks in this roughly 19,000 seat arena, but a hell of a gross $700,000 at the gate and about 240,000 pay-per-view buys. This is a Smackdown brand pay-per-view event, which is sort of fitting since today is all about Smackdown. And it is in fact the seventh No Mercy pay-per-view. No Mercy was sort of a staple for you guys, but it never quite made it to the, you know, Survivor Series, King of the Ring, SummerSlam status. What do you think of the name and the branding, No Mercy?
1: Huh, I don't. I think that it was one of those that was at the time, you know, in conjunction with where we were going and a theme that we were going with at the time. But the name held on, you know, and it, and it held on for several years. So I think to the audience, no mercy was that brand, you know, a branded pay-per-view and it was something that people got used to and they, they accepted. But for me, I just, I don't know. Not one of my favorite names.
0: We're coming off the unforgiven pay-per-view, which was a raw pay-per-view. And we would see triple H defeat Randy Orton to win the world title there. And we've recently done a little bit of a build up for that here on the show. And on SmackDown, we're in the middle of the JBL title reign of course, he's calling himself, John Bradshaw Layfield. We remember him as Justin Hawk Bradshaw. And of course who could forget the acolytes than the APA, but now's his time to shine with the world title. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past where maybe there wasn't, uh, a lot of support for JBL unanimously, whether it's with fans or, you know, the rumor and innuendo in the locker room, do you remember there being a you know, the, the, the different times, it feels like there's different seasons for every company. Would you ca- classify or categorize morale as high or about the same or no different? Where would you put it with JBL as sort of the top guy on SmackDown? I would put
1: it as, is a situation where times were changing and we were looking to build new stars. It wasn't the, all right, man, you got Austin, you got rock, you got Mick Foley. We didn't. And we had to build new stars. So no matter who you put in that position, there were always going to be those that would either second guess it, doubt it, what what have you, and be the naysayers. And there were naysayers going, Oh, goddamn, you know, he's not proven. He's never been a top guy. We really didn't have any proven top guys at the time to put in that position. And you're never going to make a top guy if you don't pick somebody and go with them. And we chose John and I feel my opinion. And yes, he is a friend of mine, but I felt that he did great. He was a heel. He was a heel that the audience genuinely hated. And that's a trait that I think a lot of guys, they don't want to be hated for whatever reason. I'd love to be hated. So John loves to be hated, and he was a true heel. And to me, the experiment was a very successful one because it got John over, and became the longest reigning champion on SmackDown in SmackDown history. So when you're asking me from a standpoint of building talent, I say it was a, it was a building time. It was a different time, but there were a lot of people that felt well, it should have been me. Right. You know, I got an idea. Give me the belt. All right, let me ask. Beat not, everybody.
0: Not to be funny, but do you think that um, perhaps, I'm just freestyling. Do you think that fans wanting to cheer the cool heels and then, you know, maybe NWO merch getting so hot and there being merch money on that side of the things, even though WCW didn't really pay like that, you could still see hey, wow, they're buying heel shit now, really, for the first time. Do you think it led to this influx of, like, cool heels? Because it does feel like, for a long time now, uh, there haven't been a lot of guys that are just legitimately hated. And it's almost like when there is a heel, it's like, well, he's a bad guy, but he's still my favorite. And there are these talents, and I know you don't want to talk about the current stuff, but like a Baron Corbin today uh, or a JBL, you know, 15 years ago, where smart fans just can't see they just fucking hate him and and that's that's a great thing i mean that's your goal as a heel as a bad guy but it does feel like this sort of inundated wave of cool heels has made it to where when we get someone who's really just being a heel we don't really know what to do with it as fans
1: well i think that the you know for the smart fan, if you will, uh, that thinks they know everything. and understand it to me. It's the greatest compliment in the world when they hate the heels, right? Yeah. I, okay. I got you, man. Thank you very much. That, that, As a heel, I don't want you to like me. I don't want you to think I'm cool. I want you to despise the ground I walk on, and your role is to want to see me get knocked off of the perch that I am sitting atop. So I I don't understand. I I, I guess I do, uh, but I don't. I've never understood the... The need to say, hey, I'm cool. Yes, I play a bad guy on TV, but I'm really a cool guy. Aren't I cool? You're you're either heel or you're not, and you, you can live the gimmick. And yes, we're much more sophisticated today, but a guy like Brock Lesnar, who Mick Foley, one of the funniest things I ever heard is in Mick Foley's stand-up, he would talk about um, – you know, Brock, and he would talk about how, you know, why Brock Lesnar is this mean, nasty guy is because he's a big, mean, nasty guy. Right. He doesn't like you. He doesn't give a shit about your kids. He, you know what I mean? He doesn't want he he wants to go out there and make money. And that is a heel. That is someone that is committed to to who they are and his figured out a way to make money with that. John Layfield, John Bradshaw Layfield. He wanted to be a heel. He didn't want merchandise. He didn't want to be that cool heel. He wanted to be a nasty, despised, despicable character that people hated. When they saw him walking down the street, New York city, they went, that guy's an asshole because he played it so well in real life. He's one of the most giving, caring, wonderful human beings on the face of the earth. However, his reputation and his, his need to be hated, man got over.
0: All right, Bruce. We got to run a timeout right now to tell everybody about Wednesdays on TNT. the revolution continues with all elite wrestling dynamite. It's the most exciting professional wrestling in the last decade made for wrestling fans by the wrestlers themselves. And with their all inclusive roster of superstars, they're breaking all the boundaries. This week, it's the opening round of the tag team tournament with the young bucks against private party live from Boston, all elite wrestling, all elite wrestling dynamite Wednesdays at 8 PM Eastern, 7 PM central only on TNT. I mean, there's no arguing that it got over because, and even if you would point to, well, business took a dip here or there. I mean, the reactions he got, I mean, it was, it was authentic, real heat and, you know, lots of sort of quote, unquote, smart fans would say, oh, but it wasn't the right kind of the heat. Well, a fucking bow's a boo. And if you don't like him, he did his job. I mean, that's just sort of brass tacks for me, but something else that's going on in this era I've wanted to ask you about. Raw and SmackDown were alternating pay-per-views here. So Raw would have one this month, SmackDown would have one next month, and then they would come together four times a year for the big shows. Those were joint shows. Everything's changed. In 04, we had a traditional pay-per-view model. Where you clicked order and you paid, you know, twenty nine ninety five 95 or thirty four ninety five or whatever it was at the time. Now everything's on the network. Do you think there's too many big shows now compared to the way it used to be?
1: It's funny. I had that conversation earlier today and my. Feeling more than anything is for my taste. There may be too much, however there is a constant demand for more and more content. And the way that we consume our content today is whether it be on YouTube or Facebook or wherever the hell Hulu, you know, um, the audience consumes it differently and, and they constantly want more for, from a creative standpoint it's um it's challenging and while i used to think that all these writers a lot of time was too much uh now with the constant demand of so much content the desire for so much content i don't know that a few people could do that not at the pace that it that it is turned into
0: it's worth mentioning too you know that there's probably the strategy of or the theory of let's overwhelm them with content. Like if we, if we give them a lot of value, you know, everybody's competing for the same dollar in entertainment right now. And you know, for, for nine ninety nine, 99, if you get not one, but two big shows a month, that feels like a big value. So maybe that's part of the strategy. Who knows? Let's, let's go back in time though. Let's stop talking about now. Let's talk about Oh four. Jim Barnett passed away on September 17th, 2004 at the age of 80. Uh, You've only talked about Jim Barnett a little bit here and there, uh, and there's some pretty famous Barnett stories out there, what stories about Barnett sort of stick out to you the most? My boy, you know, Z was
1: without a doubt, one of the most influential promoters of our time, Jim Barnett, without Jim Barnett, you wouldn't have had. Wrestling on television at the time that it came on television on the old DuPont network. Jim Barnett was extremely influential in that, making all of that happen. Jim brought wrestling down under to Australia and opened up a very successful promotion there. And you wouldn't have had TBS, uh, 605, band with Ted Turner on the Superstation. So that wouldn't have existed without Jim Barnett in many, many respects. Jim was a genius ahead of his time. And Barnett was able to, wherever he was, Barnett was able to create excitement and create new revenue streams for whatever it was that he was doing. So Jimsy was, was unique in that and very flamboyant and an openly gay gentleman in a time when it wasn't socially acceptable. And Barnett lived his life flamboyantly and out in the open so he, he took a lot of ridicule back in the day for living that lifestyle. But Jim did it unapologetically and he was a, a man of the arts uh, loved his art, loved his you know opera and loved his ballet and all of that but he was extremely successful in, in an arena that most people would never, expect him to be as successful as he was, but Jim had a lot of enemies and I learned, you know, many years later it was people would always look at Tommy rich and Tommy was one of Jim's boys. Tommy was one of those guys that Jim fell in love with and wanted to make champion. And Jim wanted, you know, Tommy to be the man and to be the guy. And people always would have rumor and innuendo about Tommy rich and what have you. But Jim was able to take that and made Tommy Rich a huge star in Atlanta. He had a knack he he was able to look at a roster of talent and watch him for any given time and he could tell you who the stars were. Jim Barnett about this time right before Jim passed you know John Cena was really catching on and I would speak to Jim every week I, I would call Jim and ask him did you See the shows, Jim? Yes. Oh, bros. You've got to do Get the shirt off of John Cena. My God. I've got to see what's underneath there. The girls adore him. That's when John was wearing the damn basketball jerseys all the time. And John would work in that. And Jim just was was on me. And I remember Jim came to one of our television tapings in Atlanta. And I told John this. And I introduced him to Jim. And the first thing Jim says is, oh, my boy, you've got to get your shirt off. The girls just adore you. John started to laugh because he thought that, you know, all these years he had heard these stories about Jim Barnett. He didn't realize that, oh, my God, this guy's for real. Barnett was a a, uh, walking, talking Mr. Magoo. You know who Mr. Magoo is or was? I do, yeah the old cartoon character the old man with the thick glasses and and so on and so forth um Jim was blind as a bat but very oh and and meticulous and everything had to be exactly in its place so pat patterson used to go into his office and he would switch his drawers in his desk so jim would go into his right you know, top right-hand drawer for a pen, if you will. And Pat would switch it with another drawer. And his assistant's name was Maureen, and you could hear down the hall, Maureen, where are my pens? Why do you move things? And it just, they, they would unmercifully rib him. Jim used to get shipments of shoes shipped to the office. Like, when I say shipments, he would get Like you, he'd get like 20 pair of shoes at a time. (laughs) I love you said, like me. Yeah. And, and Pat would go in and Pat would go through the shoes, see which ones he liked. And Pat would just, you know, help himself to a pair or two. And Barnett would never know the difference.
0: Right. Cause he ordered so many. many. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it's like you, I mean, I went in and i tried on the shoes that fit me in your closet and you still don't know.
0: No, I don't. If you... I don't think we wear the same size <laughs> shoe, but if you got some for Kane, then, then yeah, I probably, I probably haven't noticed at this point.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it all works, but I, I loved, I loved picking Jim's brain just to get his, his take on the business. Give me another
0: idea, like a, a more modern era. So you, you were saying that he saw Cena was a star. Oh God. That, yes. But are there any other little suggestions or, or things that he may have Pointed out Even way back in the day that, that you just remember like, damn, he saw it before anybody else.
1: He saw, you know, as far as then you look at the guys that were on the right, he loved Batista. He loved, uh, actually Jim Barnett was at the time you're, you're going back. This is 2003, 2004 saying, Oh God, Batista's a movie star. He's a matinee idol. Look at Dave now, you know, Dave's in movies. I don't know if he's a matinee idol, but he's definitely successful in in that genre. Uh, Randy Orton, he looked at Randy Orton and thought, you know, this guy is your champion of the future. So Jim, (laughs) Jim liked the young boys, but Jim had an eye for that talent, that young talent that you could invest in and get your investment out down the road. So you look at him and he hated Bradshaw. He thought that Bradshaw was the quintessential heel. Absolutely was like, Oh God, the cowboy, he needs to wear a black hat because he's a bad, bad cowboy. And (laughs) you know, that's why actually why we kept him in the white hat is we did because it was the antithesis of the white hatted cowboy. And a guy like Jim Barnett just thought that that was the perfect heel.
0: Why does everybody, uh, whenever they talk of Barnett, feel the need to remind you that he was homosexual?
1: Because in that era, people didn't live their life, if they were a homosexual, they did not live their life in the open as Barnett did. And Barnett was proud and Barnett did live his life out in the open and it wasn't always easy for him. That's why I think that he was so damn brave the way that he did go about living his life and having the success that he had in a business that at least outwardly, you know, people would, Oh, you know, you're talking about the fifties right? where you, you didn't, you didn't have that. It wasn't, it wasn't something that people lived their life out in the open like that, and Barnett did. Barnett didn't give a shit. And in spite of all the prejudice and, and everything that was heaped against him because of his preferences, then he was still – he beat them all at their own game. He was smarter than them. He was able to say, I don't give a shit what you think about me personally, but business-wise, I am successful. So you have to go back in time and look at it through the lens of people in that era, well, in the six, 50, you know, 50s and 60s, where he really came into power.
0: Let me ask, too, because this you know, is important to the context of the conversation since we're talking about it now, but – From what I've heard, of course, I never met the man, but from what I've heard, uh, every, this was something he had a sense of humor about and, and it was part of the ongoing sort of joking nature of a lot of his relationships.
1: Yeah. Jim, I mean, that's what I mean. Jim didn't care. He would have fun with it. Um, it it wasn't something
0: where you're making fun. It's something where you're just with your buddies. Like I bust your balls and we call each other mean names off air and on air but like even tony Shavani, you know i mean he texts me he's like hey motherfucker are you up i mean that's just the way we talk right like recently um for some show uh someone pointed out that i was in the crowd and he's like oh i didn't see him there but how did i miss him god he's fat or something like that and like that's fucking funny to me that's not i didn't go fucking boohoo that's funny you know so i don't care and I just imagine based on the fact that everybody mentions that he was homosexual, that that was probably part of everyone's conversation They just busted each other's balls in such a manner.
1: That was Jim's identity. Right. And, and Jim would for Halloween one year, he dressed up as Dr. Love, a proctologist and walked around with a rubber glove on. Oh my, I, I, and let me give you an exam. Um, yeah, he, he didn't give a shit and that's, that's who Jim Barnett was.
0: Let me ask, you know, there's lots of weird little things that you hear about Jim. Is it true that Jim like had a driver and had a Rolls Royce and had this immaculate penthouse, but really maybe a lot of that was just for show. He wanted to appear to be maybe more successful than he really was. Or did you hear anything to to that vein?
1: Well, I mean, he did have an extravagant penthouse. He did have a driver with Rolls Royce. Um, but he earned all of that. That wasn't you know, wasn't something for show. It was that's how he lived his life. That's well, he was reason, extremely successful through the years.
0: The reason I ask that is there has been, you know, rumor and innuendo that maybe when there was a pay cut coming down, he took a sort of drastic measure in Stanford and people thought that was just for show. I don't know. But
1: no, the, the, the no, 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 no. What happened was, is Jim, Jim Crockett at the time, this is 1987, and I had just started up there. Jim and I actually lived in the same uh, townhouse complex. He lived right across the courtyard from me. So it was my first week living in Stanford. Jim had been making overtures that he would be more happy in Atlanta back, you know, he, he loved Atlanta and he had a home in Atlanta. So Jim Crockett had gone in and Jim Crockett had had purchased WCW or the NWA, whatever the hell they called it at the time. And Crockett had made overtures to Barnett, you know, Hey, would you ever consider coming back? And I don't know if it was Jim trying to get more money out of Vince, like, um, Crockett wants me and, and play that game or what it was, But, but that's not a good game to play with Vince because if you tell Vince I'm unhappy, this guy over here would rather have me. It's like, well, okay, if you're unhappy, then go there. And that's what Jim did with, I mean, I mean, Vince did with Jim. He said, all right, Jim, um, go to work for Crockett, leave, you, you, you can go. Uh, you want me to fire you? I'll fire you. Well, whatever, whatever will help your cause. But if you're unhappy, go. And Jim took that as, oh my God, I've been fired. <laughs> and after Vince did that, Crockett was, you know, not. Hey, Jim, come on. You know what I mean? Right. He, he didn't. So he through. he made his just... play. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't real on the other side. So Jim Jim took a, an overdose of uh, downers. I don't even know what the hell he took, but he took a bunch of pills and
0: mm.
1: had attempted to commit
0: suicide. God dang, we got to do a whole episode on this dude one day. Let's.
1: Uh... Oh my god, he, he you know, and and again, you hear all of these things about him, but he was uh, just a, a wealth of information and knowledge and just psychology that I wish you know more people had. Uh, plus he was a flamboyant character <laughs> that was, that was interesting as hell to listen to his life stories and his life experience, because that just amazed me. Um, people living in adversity because he was different, at least to the, the, the outsiders. And and, and it's funny when you find out that this person lived their life as someone else behind closed doors a lot of times they outwardly they may have been one thing but behind closed doors there was something completely different not with Jim Barnett he he was out there man and uh, he was successful and and a very interesting cat
0: let me ask you you said something earlier I want to circle back to you said I would call Jim every week you know there's a legend that for a long time Vince kept a lot of people on the payroll as a quote-unquote consultant but really it was just an excuse to take care of them when they were maybe, uh, past their earning years. Is Was that the situation with Barnett? Was he a quote unquote consultant on payroll? And that's the reason you were calling. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, definitely. But it was, it came from a place of who's out there. Yeah. You know, no different than Jared Jarrett was a consultant back in the day, but Jarrett didn't have anything to offer. Um, Barnett, you know, actually did. And I enjoyed, I, I that was a part of my job that I really enjoyed just visiting with Barnett on a weekly basis. So, you know, I'd carve 2 or 3 hours out, you know, once a week and sit on the phone with Barnett. He had never met my wife and would would always say, "Oh, Bruce, I've got to meet your wife and children." And he would send, you know, shit, he, he would send gifts, he would send cards. He just was a very thoughtful just charming guy let's talk about connie i would have loved you
0: yeah that's what sweet cheeks that's what jr tells me every week uh ray trailer somebody else that we really love here on the show the former big boss man the big bubba rogers we did a whole show about him in our archives which you can check out right now at something wrestle.com but unfortunately we lost him the week after we lost Jim Barnett. He would pass away on September twenty second, two thousand four. Man, what a legacy this guy leaves. But when I just say his name, Ray Trailer, what's the first story that pops to your mind?
1: Oh God. Well, the first one that always pops to my mind is going and doing the vignettes in Cobb County, Georgia, and meeting with the prison guard or the the warden of the Cobb County prison, where Ray Trailer really did work before he came into the WWE uh, and being in the bowels of the prison and him looking at our cards from Stanford, Connecticut and saying, Stanford, Connecticut, that's up there, New York City, isn't it? Right there near New York. Well, you know, the problem with you people up there is y'all probably think that uh, we still have chain gangs down here in the South. Well, the perception that y'all have, and I, and I piped up saying, um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't know why we would think that considering that we passed two on the way in here today. Literally chain gangs. They had people on the side of the road chained together. Yeah. I've seen picking it. up trash. I've seen it. On the way into the prison. And he's, he's t- sitting there telling me that we, we, we haven't had a chain gang here and, in, in years and and you people portray us is backwards and I said, well first of all, I am from the South I am from Texas and um, yeah I was confused by the chain gangs we passed on the way in just trying to lighten the, and Ray and Ray's just kind of looking at it like oh hey man, he's not kidding and and this guy going on about what a wonderful human being that Ray trailer was and, and the inmates loved Ray you know he, he was their favorite guard. They loved him and y'all, y'all went out and told stories about how, how he's evil and how he beat prisoners. That just ain't true. <laughs> like, yes. We, we know that. Yeah. <sighs> but Ray w- was just a sweetheart and I loved, uh, I just loved working with him. And you know, from the very first time he was the third brother love I ever did where we had slick come out and introduce the big boss man and it was all done in one night. And I remember the third one, people were coming over the, the barricades on that third one with Slick and Bossman. And I was thinking, oh, shit, we got some heat. That's good. They didn't like me then. And by the way, I loved that they hated me.
0: <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's talk about something else that uh, I know you probably won't hate talking about. There is a raw diva candidate. So you guys are doing a diva search on raw. And one of the candidates is named Carmela and she's dating the, uh, Browns quarterback, former 49er quarterback, Jeff Garcia. And she is the reigning playboy playmate of the year. And she gets into some fisticuffs there in Cleveland. And, uh, apparently this is not a work. It was written, the other Raw Diva candidates don't like her as she has come across as if she's just there for the exposure and money and not because she enjoys herself or has any respect for wrestling. All of the Raw Diva candidates, except Carmella, discussed with each other what they were going to say in the controversial segment on Raw and each approved what would be said about themselves. Carmella, on the other hand, was blindsided by all of the crude comments about her. Uh, we should mention on the September 20th edition of raw coach would announce that Christy Hemi had beat Carmella in the fan voting and she would become the $250,000 raw diva search prize winner and chair. Uh, Christie is now going to work for WWE for a year as a part of the contest rules, earning $250,000. So check me up about, uh, Carmela and her real life scrap and whatever the, uh, the other diva folks were, were feeling about her. What you remember about Christy Hemi winning? We've never really talked about this before.
1: I, I couldn't pick her out of a lineup. And I assume that she was the cum burping slut that Christy referred to in an impromptu live uh, promo segment on Monday Night Raw that we had to have a little chat with everybody about, <laughs> I hated the diva search. I just, I was, I just, I wasn't a fan of it. And I tried to distance myself as much as possible. But if I am thinking of the same person, then
0: oh, that's I remember hard. that's what you're talking about.
1: I, I, I remember, it got down to the two of them at the end. Right. Yes. And I, and I stuck a camera in her face and she went nuts. And I lo- that was the only part that I really liked was that, okay, she's a crazy wackadoo bitch. Um, and we got that. So I was happy. I was like, okay, Hey, great. Um, finally I got some real emotion out of you because everything else, I just thought she was terrible. Um,
0: so I guess you should, you know, you, uh, you said a phrase in there, but probably caught a lot of people off guard because they weren't watching, but they eventually get to this, like this, the diva type segment, and everybody has a chance to run around and sort of, um, talk shit. And one of them says, I guess it's Christy." Carmela, you're a come burping gutter slut. This is on fucking live TV. Sure did. <laughs> Are you in gorilla when this happens?
1: Well, yes. And, but at the same time, she said it so fucking quick. <laughs> I think everybody's kind of looking at themselves saying, "Did she just say come burping gutter slut? Can, can we say slut on TV? <laughs> you know? I think the cum burping part is okay. It's accurate, but, um, yeah, it was, it was one of those moments of God damn it. Um, who, you know, you tell them what you need to tell them what not to say. And cum burping gutter slut became one of those phrases on the do not say list.
0: It's amazing to me that, um, But this is a real thing. Apparently, uh, I mean, in this battle, um, <laughs> Amy Weber says something like, whore, you don't have any respect for the WWE. You don't know shit about wrestling. Having a cock in your mouth has nothing to do with wrestling, bitch. Uh, and then another, uh, joy would say "Carmella, you talk a lot of shit, but you've got a gap so wide you could drive a truck right through there, baby. The, uh, oh, what the fuck is going on by the way when this thing gets kicked off kevin dunn lord bless him is quoted as saying we want someone we can put on a pedestal here who can represent the <laughs> WWE in a classy i won't say sophisticated but a classy nice manner it's easy to go low and that's not where we're going to go with our product in general or in this search we've been fighting our image for 50 years but there's 50 years before us and so we understand that and uh, I mean, he's pushing that man. This is not what you think it is. And then these girls, holy shit! Sorry, women, ladies, they're going after each other in a way that you just can't confuse with classy or respectful. Bring them home to mom. Well, so hey, mom. Me. Well, it's it's too bad that Blue Chew didn't sponsor this raw diva search because I feel like. It would have been fairly easy at different times. And it would have given the girls something else to talk about. And the, the girls in your life will have something to talk about. If you just go to blue, and use our promo code. What is it, Bruce?
1: That's simple. Conrad The promo code is wrestle, and you absolutely get your first order of blue chew, 100% free.
0: You just, just- got to pay the $5 shipping and it's going to show up to your house in discreet packaging. And here's the good thing. It's got the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis but because it's chewable it can work up to twice as fast as those and you can even take it on a full or an empty stomach this is a no-brainer if there ever was one go to bluechew.com right now they'll set you up with an online physician so it's cheaper than the other two because you skip the in-person doctor's visit if you're prescribed they'll ship very very quickly so you don't have to go down to the pharmacy and man why wouldn't you try this it's made right here in the usa it shows up discreetly and how hard is it going to make their dick bruce oh my
1: god rock well i can't say that
0: extremely hard you'll get a boner
1: that would be able to fill that gap and anyway
0: well i mean listen you, you almost said rock hard and i think that's appropriate considering what's happening later today uh christy hemi a name we don't talk about much here on the show is there uh that's got to be one of the more interesting stories in the history of professional wrestling how she came in and what all she was able to do and I don't know. I'm sort of fascinated with her story. What do you, what do you want to share with us about Christy Hemi?
1: God, I, you know, I worked with Christy a a little bit while she was there. And Christy was someone who really wanted it. And she wanted to be, she wanted to be a diva and she wanted to work. She wanted to, to learn it. Um, and then I worked with Christy at TNA when Christy was the host for a lot of the TNA stuff. I always found Christy to be really pleasant and nice, but, uh, I didn't, didn't deal with her that much, at least on the WWE run at all.
0: It's just fascinating to me how she comes in. And I mean, this is a, a lady who wins the diva search. And then before you know it, she's on the creative team for TNA. Like what, just a fascinating individual. Hopefully we get to do a deep dive on her some other time. And, um, well, she's certainly a quote machine. We'll just leave it with that. We should also say that, uh, this voting that's happening with the fans, uh, has a disclaimer on the website from WWE. It says WWE in its sole and exclusive discretion reserves the right to change the rules, method or manner of fan voting and winner selection at any time for any reason whatsoever or for no reason at all. So I'm just waiting for you to tell me, um, was this fan voting legit? Did Christy Hemmy really win? yes at this point given that this other uh lady apparently doesn't care about wrestling and is getting in scraps i mean you guys wouldn't have picked her anyway right wouldn't
1: have been my choice let's keep it
0: but, rolling yeah, yeah it just
1: yeah wouldn't have been my choice at all
0: on uh, an episode of raw as we march towards this no mercy this is in september we see a fake commercial air right in the middle of the raw for the new Simon Dean character. And he's touting a workout system for lazy Americans. And on the commercial is a real phone number and anybody who saw it and called it heard Simon Dean talk about getting into shape and Meltzer would say a similar gimmick or I'm sorry. Wade would say a similar gimmick was used for Ernest Miller and WCW touting a workout video. The WWF also created a faux commercial for buddy Rose's blow away diet. Simon Dean, of course, is Mike Bucci, previously known in ECW and on the indie scene as Supernova or Nova and part of the Blue World Order, Stevie Richards and Blue Manie. Um, This is a, an interesting topic on this show with you in particular because in more recent years, I don't know, the last 10 years, Mike has not always been uh, super kind to you in his shoot interviews and things like that. But we'll circle back around to that. Talk to me about the Simon Dean gimmick. This feels like, a Tony, uh, Tony little slash body Donna's reboot. What, what can you tell us about Simon Dean and the hilarious name that you guys go with here?
1: It was actually based on Jack LaLanne and the old Jack LaLanne all the way down from his, his workout one piece jumpsuit the, the whole 9 yards and it was a, a throwback. Yes, Tony Little was the more modern version, but everything that we did was based on the old Jack LaLanne Get in Shape show. That's why it was so just kind of hokey and old-fashioned for him to go out and do it. And he just, you know, he looked like a con man and he looked like somebody was very disingenuous and I think he was doing he was doing some other gimmick that just was horrible. I I don't know how else to explain it. Um, but he was doing a gimmick in OVW at the time. And whenever anybody would bring it up and show it to Vince, he he was like, "Uh, who the fuck does this guy think he is? You know, he's, I can't believe anything that he says. He's more like, uh, you know, he should be a car used car salesman or this or that. And out of that, Came this character, and Simon Dean was just a flip on Dean Simon,
0: uh, Dean, uh, Dean Malenko. Yeah.
1: So on, on his real name, we just flipped the name because it—I don't know for whatever reason—it was like Jack Lelaine Simon Dean. Um, just kind of worked. What and, did, and it fit at the time.
0: What did Bucci think of the character?
1: Well, I thought he liked it. Um, it. it you know, he he did it, and as far as I know, I, I thought he always liked it.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the idea of putting the number on TV, making it a real recording. I mean, those little details really add to it and make it fun. It's an extra little level. Who, who would have pushed for that? Was anybody against it and felt like maybe it was too old school or hokey?
1: No, it was a great way to get people engaged and get them involved in the show and a number to call, and you could... You know, have your little message in there, but it gave people a reason to, to call that number and just be engaged in it. You know, you mentioned the blow away diet. Do you remember the, the number for the blowaway diet? I don't. It was. And this was OK. Think about this. This is how funny this is now when you look back on it, because they had 800 numbers in those days. They didn't have eight, eight, eight numbers. They just had 800 numbers. Right. Well, on the blowaway away diet, we did eight, 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 F a T a S S just call eight, 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 F a T a S S Misa investor card accepted.
0: Why do I love that so much F a T a S S and that's on Why TV. On and, and that's on TV and what? 87, 88. Uh, 89, 90. Yeah. Talk to me about, um, you know, as you guys are sort of working through the, the look, how involved are you with the, the Simon Dean presentation where it's slotted on raw? How hands-on were you with all that?
1: As far, as far as the look, because it was, as I said, a lot Jack LaLanne, that was what we were using is kind of the prototype so Vince would continually look at that and that's how we came up with that look, you know, the the jumpsuit look for him. Um and whenever he would look at the old tapes of Lane leading people, okay, we're going to do hey, we're going to push off the wall right now, folks. Come on, get in here. We're going to do these isometrics and Jack in his time was ahead of his time, but Jack was over the top. And that's what we wanted Simon Dean to do was just be over the top hokey. And, He's better than you. But kind of instead of Jack Lane embracing people and trying to help them, we just put the spin on it that Simon Dean looked down on people who were out of shape. And, you know, if you were out of shape, then you were a loser. And who wants to be a loser when you can be like me because I'm a winner and that, you know, shit eating grin of his? So it was that look and all that was just came from constantly looking at these old Jack Lelane shows and going, that's him.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the first time you hear, Hey, uh, Simon Dean's fucking burying you.
1: Um, I can actually tell you when that was uh, The first time that I ever heard that was in a shoot interview when somebody hit me with it and they, they gave me the, uh, the i'll put a bullet in bruce i'll take one for tom i'd put one in bruce yeah and i'm like what the fuck did i ever do to this guy i have no idea what whatever did to him was i a fan of his in ovw absolutely not um i didn't like the nova character i didn't like the the character he was playing like some leather guy there i didn't get it i didn't care for it but i didn't know uh mike bucci for shit and um I still really, you know, I, I didn't work with Mike a lot when he was in talent relations after that. Uh, he didn't last long there. I, I don't know if somehow he thinks that was my fault or not, but I had nothing to do with that either. Cause I didn't work with him, but, uh, I have no idea. I, I really don't, uh, don't know, don't care. And, you know, he's never taken the time to tell me that he has an issue with me and, or bring it up. So, uh, I don't know. It's probably some misunderstanding. And it is what it is. A lot of people don't like me.
0: Well, everybody loves your brother and now feels like this is as good of a time as any. You want to plug uh his school that he's doing right now in Knoxville?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The JPWA is the Jacob Pritchards Wrestling Academy in Knoxville. And if you go to the JPWA Academy dot com, you can be trained by the guy that trained. The Rock, Kurt Angle, all of the McMahons, you know, Mark Henry on down the line. If they came through the developmental territory back in the day from roughly 1993 on, uh, Tom had a hand in training them. And I think that he's one of the best trainers in the world, along with Glenn Jacobs, Kane. They've got a great wrestling academy there in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it's uh, they have sessions that sell out fast. So check them out. And Tom's on Twitter. And just check them out. And it is probably one of the best wrestling academies in the world today. And yes, I am prejudiced.
0: Well, you're allowed to be. Let's talk a little bit about um, this dress code. We've touched on it briefly before, but Rey Mysterio, Johnny the Bull, Billy Kidman, they're fined for violating the dress code. And the locker room isn't pleased with the fine as wrestlers were arriving at a hotel at 2 a.m. after a long drive when someone from management decided to make this an issue, is there, you know, and the wrestlers are contending here. It's one thing for management to dress them up for airline travel, where they're going to be passing through airports and saying hundreds or thousands of other, you know, passengers, but to keep a suit and tie on while you're driving in the middle of the night, that does feel different. Did you hear about this controversy at the time? And, and where did you fall on it? Because I know that these days you dress up, but, Back before you sold out, you were fucking flip-flop wearing, basketball short wearing, fishing shirt, and cap wearing dude.
1: I still am. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I don't remember the guys involved. I do remember it becoming an issue, and I remember it being from the standpoint of, okay, the guys get to the hotel room, and they're going to go to the gym, do you expect them to wear a suit and tie to the gym and then change there and then shower and change and come back? So that's what got developed out of all of this. And and it became kind of like, all right, let's be realistic about it. When you're coming to the arena, you're flying on planes and you're going to be out in the public. But if you're going to the gym and it's a long ride and you're in the car and it got relaxed a little bit after this. And I, I don't remember the specific Situation, but I do remember it coming up because guys are like, "Well, wait a minute, man, you want us in suits and ties at the hotel? Well, that's fine, you know. If we're at a WrestleMania, we're at a big event. It's a company hotel. However, if we're going to the gym and or coming back from the gym, then we're, we're going to be in gym clothes. So Vince, you know, that's something Vince can relate to now." So you just had to make it relatable and be reasonable in it. And I think that sometimes people take, take a rule and by God, it's going to be steadfast. This is what we're doing and how we're doing it. And
0: let me read between the lines. Not real. That maybe, maybe McMahon wanted to change the perception of the company, wanted to look a little more professional. So maybe he says we need to implement a dress code or he signs off on it but then maybe in implementation and enforcement, Johnny ACE maybe takes it a little too far.
1: I th- well, obviously if they were finding guys for that, I think it was taken a little bit too far and, and taken too literal. So while yes, in spirit, there should be a dress code and guys should be presentable and I have no idea what the hell they were wearing or, or what it was, but <laughs> in Ray's case, you know, shit, he where's a mask. How do you even know it's Ray? Um, but I think it was just probably taken too literal and taken a little too far.
0: Let's talk about, uh, something else that was taken too far on the September 16th episode of SmackDown. There is a segment that we get asked about a lot and we're finally going to talk about it. John Heidenreich Kidnaps Michael Cole out of his announcing chair and brings him backstage where he locks him in a room. And Heidenreich Tells Cole. Who had a spat with his manager, Paul Heyman, the previous week that he had been quote, watching and studying him. And we all have some desires. He said now alone, I'll give you what you want. And he shoves Cole's face against the wall. He's crying in fear and they cut away a few minutes later. Are you ready? Michael Heidenreich asks, I'm going to share something with you. And then he reads a poem fear. Do you fear me? I think you should, because I'm so often misunderstood. No one knows the pain inside. No one knows the tears I hide. My heart was destroyed a long time ago. But how and by whom? You will never know. I made a vow to never tell. Instead, I'll put the world through hell. And he unlocks the door and lets Michael Cole leave, but made him thank him first. And then Cole ran off. Boy, this topic, this segment has been discussed a lot. Uh, were you involved in producing this segment, putting it together? What can you tell us about this?
1: No, I wasn't. Um, total psychological, uh, intimidation and just man, making people feel uncomfortable. And I think we succeeded, you know, chat me up. How'd you feel about it afterwards? when you heard it, Connie.
0: Well, I mean, listen, you know, how house said, chat me up. I did. And he called me okay. Connie. You're getting all of our shit in all of our shows here. Uh, for better or worse, people call this a rape scene. And Heidenreich has said that this idea was the brainchild of Vince McMahon. And he said that Vince came up with it in a dream one night. And he said that Stephanie was the one who approached him on the day of the show to inform him what was going down and Heidenreich said he compared it to the scene in pulp fiction when he heard the creative and he said something like i'm just happy i was doing the raping and not getting raped i i don't even know what the fuck we're talking about right now i appreciate that you try to shade it as psychological because we certainly don't see well, it, rape. Was. it wasn't i mean it wasn't we, a rape
1: we, scene we, we, i, we I think that people's her. mind can take them wherever they want to take them
0: i'm not arguing that because you don't see anything but it does feel like i don't know it's uncomfortable and 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 if your psychological thing i'm going to give you a pass this time instead of hooting and hollering because you don't say rape and you don't necessarily simulate it but it does sort of infer some uncomfortableness. That's what it was meant
1: to do. And I, I mean, it's that, it's that big bully bullying, the little guy, and letting know that, you know, next time I see you, I'm going to beat the shit out of you type thing in, in a much, in a much deeper way, you know, make him think about it. Whatever Heidenreich's going to do to him. You, you don't want to be in an empty room with him alone. Trust me, you don't want to be in a room alone with John. <laughs> For a variety of reasons.
0: Well, I mean, I think Doink, uh, Alabama Doink, found out the hard way, right? I mean, they had a couple matches, and Alabama Doink's no longer with us. I mean, they took a toll oh. on him.
1: Yeah, and and I was uh, across the aisle when he slapped Alabama Doink at some convention many years ago. Are you serious? And, and yeah, put him through a table, legit. Like they got, he slapped the shit out of them and, and they got in a fight or something. And, and John, Alabama doink was a little heavy for the tables. They were using, signed them their autographs. And it was one of those surreal moments where you think they're working for a second, then you realize, I think John snapped and then people get in between them and pull the old Alabama doink out of there. And, and John is apologizing.
0: Well, uh, Mr. Heidenreich, if you're listening right now, I was a big fan of your work. Please don't hurt me or my family. Uh,
1: <laughs> John's a sweetheart, man. John, John's a sweetheart of a guy. And here, here's the funny thing. Um, I'm trying to think where the hell it was. It was
0: golden corral. No, it wasn't. <laughs> golden corral.
1: God damn. I only take my daughter there every once in a while. And she's like, really dad? Um, what you intentionally but eat golden Corral. I have eaten the golden Corral on yeah. purpose.
0: Like you didn't lose a bet or nothing. Well,
1: no, because my daughter had never been there and I wanted her to experience it.
0: Oh my God. It is. <laughs> it is. I really wish that our European listeners had a sense of what golden Corral is. But if, when you guys come over here for WrestleMania, let me just give you a pro tip from a fat man. If you can trust a fat dude with anything, it's his food recommendations. Y'all ain't miss nothing with the golden corral. Just go ahead and skip that. I know they're going to try to sell you on endless meats and chocolate fountains. Stay away, Oh
1: man. The chocolate fountain. That's gross. Oh God. It's terrible. Well, we're never going to get a golden corral sponsorship here.
0: No, you know what? I wouldn't take it anyway. I only want to shield stuff that we like. I mean, actually that's true. How about this? I'm being serious. I would much rather, and I'm not even kidding here. Instead of taking our family to golden crown, I would much rather feed our dogs, solid gold. They're a sponsor from last week. Uh, we're going to give them a free plug here because my pets love it. I know yours do too, Bruce. Solid Dodger, gold the official
1: dog of something to wrestle with. He loves the solid gold treats.
0: Actually, uh, ginger and baby are the official dogs of something to wrestle now.
1: No, they, they can do one of the mother ones. Dodgers, the official one, is something to wrestle with.
0: Well, let's just agree on this. Solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle is where you need to go to save 30% off your first order. Uh, Bruce's dogs love it. My dogs love it. I mean, my dogs are like circling around in the morning waiting for it. They are on fire for it. Yeah. And and they're way more active. They're sleeping better. It's We got new dogs, boys and girls. Solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. So tell me about your... Uh, your, your right story.
1: Well, no, we, we were, we were at the convention and, and all of a sudden this commotion took place. And again, I think everybody just thought it was a work with him and this clown. Um, but then it, it, you quickly saw that, uh, Hey man, John's not working and the table collapsed and John had, had put the, um, uh, the clown through the table and then people got in between them and John's kind of going nuts a little bit but he calmed down pretty quickly. The funny thing to me was I was across the aisle and down a a little ways, but I knew John from when he was in developmental, and when he was with us, John walks over like comes over out of everybody to me and apologizes. Got nothing to apologize to me about. What the hell was that? He goes, ah, fucking guy owes me money. Like, Okay. Well, I don't owe you anything. Do I? You don't want to go to an empty room or anything. Do you? I'm good. So yeah, it was kind of a surreal moment. Uh, but then after that, he was working at golden Corral with Alabama. Doink.
0: It's unbelievable. And what else is unbelievable so- is in this era, you guys are running a promo saying that Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Mick Foley, Stephanie McMahon, and Vince McMahon are returning to SmackDown to celebrate the season premiere and fifth anniversary of the show. How about that shit, dude? 20 years. This is 15 years later. It's the 20-year anniversary. And guess who's there? All the big stars. Same old, same old. Um, I do want to mention this. We've talked about this before. You've always joked about it whenever we covered Eddie Guerrero briefly. We haven't done our full Guerrero episode, but it's coming, boys and girls. But we did it on the Kurt Angle show, too. Uh, Kurt and Eddie Guerrero get into a bit of a scuffle after their segment on SmackDown on September 14th. It's written when Guerrero walked through the curtain backstage angle, expressed frustration with him messing up the timing of the angle with big show a minute earlier, apparently Guerrero and the reaction of the wrestlers in the ring on TV, back up his story was supposed to wait longer before getting up from ringside, entering the ring and saving big show from an attack by angle and Luther reigns when Guerrero entered the ring, just a few seconds after angle and reigns attack show, it appeared that angle and reigns were setting up a table spot for show. Show visibly seemed surprised at Guerrero's arrival and quickly shifted gears from selling a beating to going to a sudden comeback mode backstage. After angle confronted Guerrero, they got into a shoving match and angle ended up taking Guerrero to the floor. Several agents jumped in right away to separate them. Were you there for this? What do you remember about this dust up?
1: I was there for it. I, I didn't see the actual <laughs> attempt to take down and what it was, was they got into it and it was, uh, apparently a little shove here, but Eddie tried to double leg Kurt and Kurt just kind of front face, locked Eddie and, and got him down. And everybody got between them. Thank God. But <laughs> right afterwards, Eddie's sitting on a table right outside a gorilla. And I'd heard of this and I come running up and I look at it and I'd go, what the fuck happened? Well, what, what were you thinking? I don't know, man. I'm just stupid. (laughs) He's a fucking Olympic gold medalist. He goes, I know. I'm just stupid, man. Okay. And it was a pissed off Eddie because he realized it was tempers flaring, hot headedness. and, And Eddie could be, uh, be very passionate at times. And Kurt is an Olympic gold medalist that could pretty much do whatever he wanted with you.
0: Let's talk about Jamie Noble. He makes the news in this era. He's terminated by WWE and WWE didn't specify the reasons for his departure, but sources within WWE say he was let go due to a problem with documents he filed regarding medical insurance claim that involved WWE, but shouldn't have it's written. Noble was by all accounts, well-liked among his peers, but seen by management as a bit lippy. He wasn't considered a major asset to the roster by management due to his smaller stature, ordinary working style and inability to get himself over. At least in their view, he might've been given another chance. If he were more highly regarded, it's really, really hard to get fired around here. Says one wrestler. He must've really fucked up because if you keep your mouth shut and show up and do what you're told, odds are WWE will be loyal to you. Now the rumor and innuendo is that Jamie Noble had uh, been breaking the wellness policy unbeknownst to WWE and self-injecting himself. and, And one of those injection points got infected. He went to the doctor, filed it on his insurance when WWE sees, wait a minute, he's fucking what now? Uh, that's the end of Jamie Noble. What's real. What's not. What do you remember about Noble being asked to, uh, Go a separate way here.
1: Honestly, I, I know nothing about that other than when Jamie was gone. And the beautiful thing during this time frame was all I had to deal with was creative and on the creative end, and didn't have to deal with any of that bullshit. So as as far as the real story and what happened, um, I it was so much better not to know. Not to be involved in it so that you didn't have to go in and, and, and talk about it, have anything to do with it. So I didn't get involved in the rumor and innuendo and bullshit. I just remember cause Jamie, we had done the stuff with him and Nydia and I thought Jamie was one entertaining yeah. son of a bitch and an extremely talented guy in the ring, obviously. And a lot of times you're just told, Hey, we're releasing this guy and you move on. I don't care. I mean, I really don't care what the issue is when you're just doing creative and that's what you're charged with. You just kind of go, okay, next we're not going to, we'll write him out.
0: Let's talk about, uh, John Cena. He's gone filming the Marine, the rumor and innuendo is that Austin was actually offered that part first, but his agent told him not to accept it because it'd be bad for his career, which he still had high hopes for, um, What do you remember about that? Do do you think the the movie would, it's the biggest, most successful WWE movie. If not ever, it's gotta be up there. And it was, it was a great role for John. How do you think Steve would have done in that role?
1: Actually, I think Steve would have done great in that role. And it was during the time, sometimes when guys get away from it, it, it happened with Steve. It happened with rock. It's happened with different guys throughout the years where, when you get to Hollywood and you get out to this bubble that the first thing that those agents and the Hollywood people do, Oh, you got to distance yourself from that wrestling stuff. You, you, you can't be, you, they don't want that wrestling stuff. So the advice that, Steve and a a lot of these guys were given was you don't want to be associated with a WWE production and, and, you know, get away from that. You know, you need to be doing big pictures over here. Um, so it was a great opportunity for Cena to step in. As you say, it was, uh, the biggest movie I think the studio ever did. It's funny. And I thought John did excellent in it. I really do. And I thought the movie was you know, it was what it was. <laughs> it's no, a B it was, movie, but it was better,
0: um, but better it was than fun. A, it was better than a lot of WWE movies, though. So. Yeah, but here's
1: here's the funny thing about it. One of the movies that I enjoyed most was the one that Steve did on the island.
0: Yeah, the condemned, right? Yes,
1: yeah. and I loved the concept, and I thought I just enjoyed the hell out of it. I'm also a Vinnie Jones fan, so um, having two of two guys that I knew and liked a lot and, and enjoyed watching, but I always thought that the condemned should have done so much better. And you know why it didn't? Why? Cause it was R rated. Hmm. And it just had, had we made that decision to tone down some of the language and violence a little bit, could have got that PG 13. And I think the condemned would have been one at the, it's the top, I, I really do, and Marine definitely would have given it a run for its money. And the Marine, that franchise is still going. But Steve and the Condemned, that, that to me, that was my favorite, and then uh, Sin No Evil, and then the Marine.
0: The WWE would announce that, uh, on September 22nd, there's going to be a WrestleMania 21 press conference in LA at the Staples center at the star Plaza entrance with Vince McMahon, triple H, Randy Orton, Trish Stratus, JBL, big show, Tori Wilson, Ray Mysterio, and Jonathan Coachman. And individual interviews for the media are going to be available after the press conference. But what I'm curious about is how did you guys go about setting up the production for these and who decided who the players are going to be and who all would you invite and who would actually show up? Just talk to me about WrestleMania press conferences in 2004.
1: Well, also, which you have to understand in, in that time frame, we were doing press conferences for all of the major pay-per-view events, all of them. So why do we, you think y'all
0: got away from that?
1: We, we did, but, but it was also, that was a big, this was a big time of press conferences, get out there. So, depending upon where you were, what needed to be done, and I believe this was um, one non-sale for tickets, but it was getting out there in front of in front of that audience and starting early. But you just take your top guys. I had to produce the damn things, which was always interesting because you had all the real press there. When I say the real press, you know, the fake media and what have you, um, Oh my God. Well, no, what I mean by that is you would have, you would have the sports guys, the cynical sports guys show up and treat it as a joke. And we would invite the entertainment people. We wanted, we wanted as much exposure as we could, but the sports guys, they, they always wanted to leave with the, in the fake world of, this spectacle took place today. And I'm like, fuck you. Just don't come. Um, but you always had to deal with that. And for the most part, and especially as time went on, the media got friendlier and they got it. They started to understand and they, they realized that, Hey, this isn't new folks. This is entertainment and we're selling a show. We're not selling a contest. So, It just was for the talent, you had to get them then to get out of press conference mode and get into entertainment mode. And this was during a time that we were going through and I would lay out the press conference and it was a show. It wasn't just a straight pet press conference. It was, it was a show. It was all written out with your host and bringing everybody up and everybody had a story and everybody had their promo laid out for them. And then the Q and A's were, okay, I'm going to throw out questions. You're probably going to get, be prepared for this, be prepared for that. And here are your one-on-ones. So it was, it was a big production and it was something that we did. We sent a, a production team. We sent our lighting people. We had the stage, we had everything set up. It was a mini television show.
0: All right, guys, we got to run a timeout right now to tell you how to save some money. What are you waiting for? Go to savewithconrad.com. I'm talking to you. If you're a homeowner and you're in a 30-year loan, dude, it's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much. And right now is the best time ever to go ahead and do this. There's a lot of things going your way right now. All of a sudden, real estate is worth more than ever. Your house is worth more than what you bought it for. Secondly, interest rates are cheaper than when you bought your house interest rates on credit cards in america are hovering around 19 percent what are you waiting for let's consolidate what little bit of credit card debt you've got let's put it into a new monthly payment where you get the benefit of the tax deduction because the interest you pay on your house you can write off the interest you pay on your credit card you cannot let's also get the best rate possible way better than what you have right now and oh yeah how's this for starters no house payments for two months You won't make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. And come next year, you're going to have a better mortgage. Most importantly, you're going to get out of debt faster. We are routinely helping podcast listeners take their 30-year loan and cut six, seven, eight, nine years off of their loan. What are you doing? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. Check it out right now. Savewithconrad.com. We're licensed in over 40 states. Check it out. Save with Conrad.com. And number 65084. Equal Housing Lender. Let's talk about something else that, that I found interesting in my research this week. There's apparently an issue with Eric Bischoff during the Unforgiven pay-per-view, which was one month prior to this. It was it's written here, Triple H was the first one to reach Bischoff by cell phone during the Unforgiven show when no one could find him. Bischoff explained to Hunter that he left hours earlier and couldn't get back to the arena in time. And at that point, Hunter chewed him out. The next day at raw Vince McMahon met with Bischoff to discuss the situation. One wrestler said, imagine Bischoff's humiliation, getting chewed out by Hunter and Vince for leaving a show early, considering his position in the industry. Just five years ago, nobody around here feels sorry for him though. Uh, the, the article would continue. Although Bischoff was in fact mistakenly told by an agent that he wasn't going to be used on the pay-per-view. That was not a valid excuse for him to leave early. The rule across the board for all talents is that they stay until the show's end, even after their match or role is finished. Quote, we've all left early. He just got caught, said one wrestler. They also said it shouldn't be that hard for Bischoff, presumably one of the higher paid talents to stick around for four or five days a month that he has to work. So a little bit of hate, a little bit of heat. What do you remember about Bischoff being uh, MIA for a pay-per-view here?
1: He uh, wasn't MIA. It was a complete misunderstanding. Eric showed up for work at the pay-per-view and was told that he wasn't needed at the pay-per-view. So Eric checked with everybody and he said, okay, I, I don't have anything to do. I'm going to go on to raw. Eric left to go on to the next town and go to raw. We, something happened in the pay-per-view that we were like, oh shit, we need, um, we need somebody to go out and cut a promo and, and do something, get Bisch off. because Eric was the general manager of raw and, and everybody went looking for Eric, couldn't find him. And so the call was made, Eric, where are you? he's like, I'm in whatever the next town was. So they're like, well, what the fuck? Um, But Eric was told he wasn't needed and that he could leave. It was a complete misunderstanding. And I know because I was involved in it and they told him from now on, you know, if you're, you're there, just wait till the end of the show because you never know if we may need you. It wasn't, uh, uh, Eric left and he got caught. No, Eric asked, Eric was there to work. And was told you're not needed. He says, all right, if I leave and go on to the next town, Yeah, go ahead, man. Cause we don't have anything for you tonight. And that's all it was. It was much ado about nothing. And that's, that's where, you know, that the rumor and the bullshit that, that happens that a little thing like that turns into, oh, he got chewed out here and he got chewed out there. He, he got told the next day by Vince, you know, Hey man, you come to work stay until the show's over out of, out of respect to the performers and eric was like you got it uh we'll never leave again but it wasn't like he just snuck out he asked and was told yeah it's okay leave
0: well someone else is uh feels like they're on their way out billy Gunn has been pulled from the road and is now on a leave of absence he wasn't happy with how he was being used or how he's being paid and it transferred to his productivity and management size. So he's gone from the road for now, but still under contract. Was Billy Gunn just burn out here?
1: I think so. And I also, not only was Billy burnt out, but I think that creatively it kind of run the gamut as to what are we going to do with Billy and Billy not being satisfied with anything that anybody came up with. A lot of times, the best thing to do is go away and learn a new Holt.
0: Well, it's weird because. This feels like, you know, the end he's going to be released on November 1st. And, uh, in 2005, of course, he would be very, very critical of WWE and he'd be very negative towards triple H and he shows up in 2005, uh, in TNA. what do you think when, when he's down there in TNA and and teams up with BG James, and they create the, the three live crew and. They sort of have some not so nice names about, you know, the little sort of tongue in cheek stuff with Vince McMahon, the voodoo Ken mafia or VKM. What do you remember about all that?
1: I I didn't see, I wasn't watching TNA at the time. I don't remember a lot of it other than hearing about, you know, later on the voodoo Ken mafia, I thought it was one of the stupidest fucking names I ever heard, come on. Um, BVKM, but Voodoo Kin Mafia. I just, I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. Um, you know, it was what it was, but th- that was the thing you did, man. You left, you bad your company. Again, something I, I just never understood. If you work somewhere for all these years and they're good to you, and sometimes you, you just got to leave for whatever reason, whether you fuck up, whether they fuck up, they don't want you, just move on. But, it doesn't take away the good years that you had. So enjoy that. And life's too short to be negative on shit.
0: Well, let's talk about uh, a negative rumor that would pop up. And of all places, it starts with the honky So you know, it's gotta be legit. Well, fuck. Uh, yeah. Either that or that other goof in California. It's written at the time, the top rumor of the week circulating amongst WWE front office staff, production staff, and wrestlers was that Kane had given his notice to the company. The first to report the rumors was the honky-tonk man of all people on his website on Sunday night. And one source within the company is denying that there is anything to the story at all. Meanwhile, multiple other sources within the company's front office and locker room tell the Torch that they believe there may be something to the story. The word going around is that Glenn Jacobs began renegotiating his contract because he wasn't happy with the offer that had been made. And his current contract may have been signed when times were good and downsides were high. Jacobs, the story goes, was not happy with the offer and either gave his notice or threatened to give his notice. This is an interesting article because it's just felt like forever. He was a lifer. Was there a time where, you know, the two sides just disagreed on a contract and it looked like, oh shit, this might be the end.
1: Do you really want me to answer that uh, from the Honky Jesus Christ! Um, no, I again, I
0: <laughs>
1: Jesus Christ! I, I don't even I don't even know how to answer that. No. Okay. No, it's it's Jesus. It's just. Guys talking and bullshitting and, and creating shit that's just not there.
0: Well, let's talk about something else that's out there at the time. Uh, there's a, always been, for my understanding, a weird dynamic with Hulk Hogan using the name Hulk Hogan, because he allegedly had some sort of deal with Marvel comics and it's reported here that due to the expiration of Hollywood Hogan's agreement with Marvel Comics to use the Hulk name, neither he nor WWE can refer to him as Hulk Hogan any longer. Bradshaw got in trouble with management for slipping up and calling him Hulk Hogan on live TV last week, perhaps at the debate with Mick Foley or on one of his news channel interviews. Hogan has been preparing for this moment for a while, which is one of the main reasons he introduced Hollywood as a new added nickname years ago. We haven't spent a lot of time on the show talking about this Marvel relationship that allowed him to use Hulk. What do you remember about this?
1: I, you know, I don't know the mechanics of it other than there was an agreement with Marvel who owned the Hulk trademark. So I don't know if it was the, you know, the company for many years had that license to be able to use the Hulk Hogan name. Hulk then tried to continue it afterwards and did successfully. But, um, I I don't, I, I don't know. I never was involved in any of those negotiations and I don't know how that worked because Hulk has always been Hulk right. and he's always been able to get around it somehow, some way and be able to settle whatever disputes they ever had. So there were times that, you know, maybe in the middle of a negotiation that, eh, let's just not refer to him as Hulk. And maybe we need to think about, something else whether it would be hollywood or the hulkster or something other than just hulk and i don't know how all that worked but from time to time it would rear its ugly head
0: it's an interesting dynamic we gotta get to the bottom of with him one time let's talk about no mercy we've talked about everything but the show that this this show is named after so let's get to it the opening match goes thirteen minutes and thirteen seconds. And since Eddie Guerrero's in it, you gotta think, oh, this will be great. Unfortunately it's with Luther Reigns, who had a phenomenal look, but maybe not the best match with Eddie Guerrero here. It would be called an okay opener. Guerrero stole a baton from a ringside cop and used it to knock out Reigns and then hit a frog splash for the win. Star in three quarters. We haven't talked about Luther Reigns a lot. What'd you think about this match?
1: Thank God Eddie was in it. (laughs) Yeah, it just wasn't the best. Uh, Luther was a big monster that had a tremendous look. And on paper, you would think had a huge upside. Unfortunately, that damn bell had to ring and his unique look. And it just didn't transfer into bell to bell. So did what you could. Wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but at least Eddie Guerrero was in it
0: next up. Josh Matthews would interview Don Marie about her comments regarding Charlie Haas and Don says she can't help it. Charlie Haas is obsessed with her There's a six person tag tonight, but Don goes into Jackie's locker room. where She's changing clothes and Don thinks Jackie is forcing Charlie into the marriage and they won't last man. This, uh, when you read this back, this reads like a really bad soap opera.
1: It was a bad soap opera. Uh, <laughs> trying to create stories for everybody at, at times, and there was a real-life Jackie Gata and Charlie Haas being married, being a couple, and carrying over to the ring. So you, you try to mix as much real life as you can with storyline and make it real, people to identify with it.
0: Next up, we've got Spike Dudley, who's got Devon and Bubba with him, taking on Nunzio, who's got Johnny Stamboli there. Uh, Spike picks up the win to retain the Cruiserweight title in 8 minutes and 44 seconds. Um, it's called an okay match, too short to amount to much, but the execution was solid, but not spectacular. This was like, uh, this was like a lot of forgotten characters from WWE here. Uh, Spike Dudley, you don't ever hardly hear anything from anymore. Uh, Nunzio, Johnny Stamboli, what what do you got for us on Nunzio and, and Johnny? We haven't talked about them a lot.
1: I love Nunzio to me. Nunzio was one of those guys that you could have made that little bastard. I think that he would have been a great manager because he wasn't the biggest guy in the world. He could work his ass off in a double tough son of a bitch trained by Billy Robinson and he could talk but he was an aggravating little shit that everybody in the audience would imagine that they could kick his ass. So I loved Nunzio, but it just never really clicked. I think that people saw through it. Um, And Stamboli was one of those from WCW that you thought had a huge upside, but Johnny just couldn't get out of his own way and, and couldn't get out of his own head and thought he was a much bigger star than he ever was.
0: It's a shame too, because, um, the real life guy behind the character is only 42 years old now. So you think back in this era, I mean, dude's 27. That's fucking unbelievable. And Nunzio now is only 47. So you could dust him off my a manager. Uh, next up, they'd show a clip of the undertaker pinning Hulk Hogan to win his world title for the first time in survivor series in 91 They'll show other clips of Taker's title wins during the show, and they're trying to give the impression here that this is his night. Next up is a pretty good match and two workers that a lot of people would say, oh, well, that makes sense. Paul London, who we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, and Billy Kidman. Uh Kidman's gonna pick up the win in ten minutes and thirty-three seconds. Uh it was be described as crisp, fast-paced action throughout with London looking like a class above everyone else in WWE when it comes to adding intangibles to the way he executes basic moves and sells, really, really high praise for him. Um, what, what do you, what do you think of that assertion that he was another level with the little things? Were you really impressed with Paul London? I've never heard you really put him over super strong.
1: Oh, yeah, I have. I think that Paul London, I go back and look at the time that Paul London and Brian Kendrick were a tag team. I thought that they were absolutely tremendous. And we made them tag team champions and and tried to do something with them. And unfortunately, sometimes they could be their own worst enemies. But I thought Paul London was extremely talented. Same thing with Kendrick. He he can do anything. And, And he's also a hell of an instructor. But sometimes their are demons in their head would get in their way. Um, you know, Paul didn't always take things seriously, but as far as a talent, Holy shit. Um, I thought that Paul London was a hell of a talent and could do anything with anybody and make it believable. He, he had that unique talent to is a smaller guy, not the biggest guy in the world, be able to work with anybody on the roster and get a match out of them.
0: This is a good match. If you're going to go back and watch a match from this show, Hell this of a is match. the one, uh, there's a lot of near fall exchanges and then Kidman goes to the top rope to hit a shooting star press, but instead jumps to the floor and teases that he's going to walk out Taz on commentary mentions if he leaves, he's going to be fired. Of course that gets our action going again. And, uh, London's going to flip onto his feet, hit a sidekick, goes for a shooting star press of his own, but Kidman would lift his knees and then hit a shooting star press, which popped the crowd and scored the pin. And London here is bleeding from the mouth. And when the medics are working on him, Kidman hit another shooting star press on him. Of course, Cole and Taz are outraged and it's written here. This is the first 10 minutes of a very good 15 to 20 minute match, two and three quarter stars. I thought it was better than that. I thought this was a really good match. But I guess, you know, I would have been okay with it being a little longer. Uh, I think this is a match I can recommend strongly. People go check out.
1: It was, it was a hell of a match. And it's one of those that on a card like this, that you go back. And when you're watching, go son of a bitch. So, well, as we like to say, sometimes that's a good little match. Um, and they got the audience too. So they were able to go out and tell a good story, but fuck. I enjoyed the hell out of it.
0: These guys are former tag team champions together, and that didn't last very long. You know, we've seen a lot of teams break up and go singles, but it does feel like Kidman and London, maybe they had limited upsides in WWE at this time because, well, for whatever reason, you think they would have been better off sticking together as a tag team now, you know, with the benefit of hindsight,
1: unfortunately, nobody really nobody really cared and they didn't care for him as a tag team and they didn't really care for him as they, as they broke up and tremendous performers.
0: But why do you think that is? Let's put our finger on that for a minute. If we're both acknowledging, Hey, these guys are great wrestlers and you know, they have all the intangibles they put on great matches, but then nobody cares. Can you put your finger on why that may be, could there have been a different way to package them and get it over?
1: I, I don't think that either one of them have ever been able to connect with the audience on a big scale in that regard. And some guys it's that it factor, it's that intangible. So yes, to a certain degree, without a doubt, you know, they, they could go out and do some things that were absolutely spectacular. But beyond that, what what was there to to really care about? And whether it was story, whether it was ability to carry off a story, I don't know. And Billy Kidman is one of those guys that out of the ring is one of the most entertaining, sarcastic, funny motherfuckers that you ever want to be around. Same thing with Paul London. But for whatever reason, connection with the audience, there was something missing.
0: I don't know why, but it's just, uh, it's fun to go back and look at that stuff from a fantasy perspective and think about what if. But this next thing we don't have to wonder about. It actually happened. Kenzo Suzuki and Rene Dupree are going to take on Rob Van Dam and Ray Mysterio Jr. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, with all that star power on one side, Van Dam and Mysterio are going over. Nope. Nay, nay. Kenzuki Sasaki and Rene Dupree get the win. Um, Dupree. Starts what, what did you call him? Kenzuki Sasaki. Kenzo Suzuki. There you go. Is that what I said?
1: Kenzo Suzuki. You said Kenzuko Suzuki. Well, let's run, I, let's run what through this. The motherfucker. Fuck you said?
0: We're taping at two in the morning. All right. We're doing the fucking yeah. best we can. This is this is true. This is true. <laughs> I haven't I haven't slept since fucking Tuesday, so I, I woke up this morning in uh in D C, spent the day in Baltimore, stopped over in Atlanta and and hurried home to tape this motherfucker. I'll pronounce Suzuki's name however the fuck I want today. Yeah. And every once in a while, when you hear this, that's my head hitting. the microphone. Well, we're home, stretching the baby Pure we're exhaustion. Uh, Dupree going to do some mic work and then Kenzo Suzuki sings Bruce Springsteen's born in the USA chorus. That's real. Uh, nonstop action here. Uh, Meltzer would say not as awkward as you might expect, given the clash of styles. Kenzo rolled up Ray right in the ring and yanked on the top rope for leverage to score the pin. He almost forgot to grab the top rope to taint the pin star in a quarter, uh, in hindsight, I mean, Van Dam and Mysterio probably should have went over here. What can you tell us about Kenzo Suzuki and Rene Dupree as a tag team?
1: God, you know, and I still to this day think that Rene Dupree had a huge upside. Uh Kenzo big good-looking guy he just wasn't ready his wife was the star of that team but nobody gave a flying fuck one way or the other and this match was a clash of styles in every way possible from you know Ray and Rob uh, trying to work with a stump in Kenzo and <laughs> it just was, yeah, it was rough. One, one of the shiny stars.
0: Next up big show and Kurt angle. And the buildup to this match started back on September 9th on SmackDown when there's supposed to be a lumberjack match scheduled between angle and Guerrero. The match goes to a no contest when big show returns and interferes in the match, choke slamming both guys. And the following week he's given two contracts to choose from one to face Guerrero and one to face angle he signs the contract with Guerrero's name on it. And after signing it, Angle and Luther reigns, throw Guerrero out of the ring and offer Big Show a handshake. Big Show then tears up Guerrero's contract and signs the one with Angle's name on it. to face him at no mercy. And, uh, they're going to go 15 minutes and six seconds. That's real. A 15 minute Big Show match. And it's, it's getting high praise here. Um, it's called a good match. Two and a half stars. What'd you think of, uh, this match and the way a frustrated angle would get intentionally counted out. And then Teddy Long would come out and restart the match with uh, no count out stipulation.
1: Well, I was about to get hot when you said, can you imagine big show match 15 minutes? Cause I thought that they tore it up and this is one of those where you can see big show. You give him a worker to go out there, man. Show could go.
0: He's and, just going to have the right opponent. And if he can tell the right kind of story, exactly. and he did really well with smaller guys and it it goes into that classic David Goliath thing, but when done well, I don't know that anybody really did it as good as big show did because the size is so disparate that it just, it, it's, it's shocking, especially when you've got an Olympic wrestler like Kurt angle, it's, he still dwarfs him. So they were able to tell a really good story in this match.
1: In believe, in Not just that, in a believable story that you get lost in in the match. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful picture. I thought it was the best match on the card up until this point. And it's a testament to both those guys because, as you said, Big Show getting out there with someone that just he dwarfs in size. But Kurt Angle being able to work with a giant and make you believe by how hard he works, that he could do anything he wanted with that giant. So I thought it was a tremendous story and they had a great match and, and hats off to both guys.
0: Yeah, it was a good match. I can't argue that at all. Um, next up is a continuation of the best of five series for the United States title at SummerSlam. uh, Cena would beat Booker in the first match of the best of five series. And on August 26th, Booker wins the second match. The following night at a house show, he defeats him in the third match and goes up 2 1. On September 16th, Cena defeats Booker in the fourth match. So now we're tied up. And this is our finale. These guys get 10 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, Ultimately, Booker misses a scissor kick attempt. Cena hits the FU out of nowhere. Two and a quarter stars. Cena. He's your winner and he's retained the U.S. title. Was there any consideration of going the other way? Or was it pretty clear here? is the man.
1: Cena was the man, and this was a suggestion from Booker T based on his series that he did with Chris Benoit WCW. And it worked for John. It was a way to get John over. That was what the whole thing was designed for. And this was the period of the build for John Cena. So my boy. Um Uh, Booker did uh, Booker looked at this as his job and his task. I've got to get John Cena over and Booker did that and Booker did it without hurting himself one bit and got himself over in, in getting John Cena over. So the whole, the whole series was tremendous. And this was another one where when you look at the build of somebody and you go back and you say, what are some of those moments that were, that it moment for a talent where they start to come into their own. This is one of those it moments for John Cena because John Cena now is anointed. Okay. Bam us championship against Booker. And it was a great story to talk about all this shit that he could endure. And he did. And he
0: overcame. Let's talk a little bit about the next match because this one feels a little out of place. Um, I think uh, I think Jim Ross would call this a let me up match. Rico and Charlie Haas and Miss Jackie are gonna take on Don Marie and the Dudleys. It's called a fun comedy match in the write up, two and a half stars. And uh there's a Rico a bit where Rico surprises Bubble with a kiss and then he would encourage Devon to headbutt his crotch, which of course causes Devon to skip the move. And, uh, then Haas hits Devon with the flying ax handle and Rico hits a moonsault and there's your finish. This one's just sort of there for me, but I mean, I guess, you know, it has its place. I don't know. I wasn't a super big fan of this one. What'd you think?
1: Well, I enjoyed Rico in this character and Rico and Jackie <laughs> Rico and Jackie to me had more chemistry than Charlie and Jackie and Charlie and Jackie were a couple. So I just enjoyed Rico and Rico was one of those guys that could do it all, but he was never going to be maybe because of his age and he was just one step off. But Rico to me was a great star. Rico was able to go out and get that character over and whatever he did, he worked his ass off. So this was a fun match but, I, I just enjoyed the chemistry between Rico watching him with the Dudley's and, and also just kind of the chemistry with Jackie. It's a, it's a fun match. And Rico was somebody that no matter what you gave him, what character, what story he would embrace it and go whole hog into it.
0: Speaking of whole hog, here we go. It's a, a rematch from SummerSlam, which we've recently covered. It's JBL spending his title against the undertaker. You may remember. The uh, choke slam through the limo from that SummerSlam show on the August 26 episode of SmackDown. Orlando Jordan would defend the WWE Championship for JBL against The Undertaker, and of course, Undertaker wins by DQ following interference from JBL. So, of course, JBL return uh, retains. And two weeks later, SmackDown GM Teddy Long announces that Undertaker is going to get another opportunity for JBL's title, and it's here at No Mercy. But it's not just any old match. It's a hearse match. They're gonna brawl at ringside, use the stair use the stairs, use some tables. Of course, JBL's bleeding like a stuck pig. Heidenreich pops out of the hearse and starts raping everybody. Never mind. Heidenreich pops out of the hearse and attacks Undertaker, leads JBL to winning. Really good brawl. Not great, and the finish was lame. That's the way it's written up. But a main event worthy effort. Three and a half stars. And they go 21 minutes and two seconds, which does feel like a long time. But I guess in this era, WWE main events were always about that length or longer. What'd you think of this one? I mean, a bloody brawl, this is pretty old school and a hearse match at that.
1: I thought it was great. And again, it was an opportunity you had to build stars. And you had to build new stars and you had to build new obstacles for your baby faces because Undertaker wasn't going anywhere and Undertaker was over. Well, you got to feed him heels and Undertaker with the championship wasn't going to work. So he, he wanted to make Layfield. He wanted to make John as the champion. We also needed to segue Undertaker into a new program. We needed to make more. Stars. Heidenreich was the next guy on that list. Big bastard that matches up size-wise with The Undertaker that people could think, all right, uh, this guy's got a chance against The Undertaker. And that psychological crazy wackadoo shit that Heidenreich did, those kind of mind games against The Undertaker would be a good matchup. And this this was a match to facilitate that transition. Layfield squeaks out with the championship Heidenreich slides into a program with the undertaker and we can all move on into new stories and, and settle down into something else. So from that vantage point, I thought it was tremendous. Um, people will go back and hindsight being 2020 and look at John Heidenreich who wasn't over at the time, but you have, you have to do something with new talent to try and get them over. And John hadn't been tested yet. And Taker was willing to, to say, Hey, let's come under the, the Taker learning tree and let's get this guy over. So, um, in that regard, I thought it, it was done very well.
0: I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting because after this JBL, of course, starts a feud with Booker T who's going to turn babyface in the process and, they wind up wrestling in Survivor Series for the title, and Undertaker, of course, starts working with rank. Is that something that you know? You've told us before that every now and again, Taker will see you and give you shit about booking with Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania Nine. Does rank make the list anywhere on their list of shitty opponents you gave Undertaker?
1: Probably. It's it's pro- in, in Taker's mind is probably a long list. <laughs>
0: Well, there is a long list of things that we've covered here on the show, and we've got more coming your way. Uh, but before we get out of here, Bruce, not the most memorable pay-per-view, but a lot of meat on the bone behind the scenes. Where would you rank No Mercy 2004 on a scale of one to 10?
1: I'd give it a, a nice six. I it's go. just what, you know, uh, in totality, it was okay. And there were some, there were some good matches, but it just was not memorable. Right. I guess is the best way to describe it. Not something you go back and go, oh, holy fuck. I think the Hearst, the hearse match, yeah, you can go back and go, holy fuck, that was uh, a battle. But the rest of it, what else really was on there that you go, oh, holy fuck about? You have to see.
0: Well, you got to see us this Friday and every Friday right here on Something to Wrestle. One last plug. Check out the WWE show tonight on Fox. Eric Bischoff would appreciate it. Bruce Pritchard would appreciate it. What a big day for wrestling fans today, man! Wrestling not just on cable, fucking broadcast TV, and pulling in all the big stars: Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, yeah. The Rock. Come on!
1: And again, I, you know, again, not wanting to talk a lot about today's. I, I coming in here to to do this tonight. I ran into one of the top Fox executives, and I got to tell you, from from that vantage point, from their vantage point, their excitement it's there's they they may be more excited than we are which is hard to even imagine so this is a big fucking night and i'm really looking forward to it uh it's a big night for the business and i'm just it's crazy two years ago who'd have thunk it hunk a year ago conrad yeah and no. we have
0: thunk it no I, I would have never guessed that wwe would be on fox and that you and eric bischoff would be right in the middle of it but God damn doing this podcast with you has been so fine because we've got, to not only sort of trace your steps through history, but man, you're fucking making history today. And, and I hope you, uh, you guys have a good show and have a great time. And I think most of us listening to this show will be watching at home. So good luck tonight. And in the meantime, we'll see you guys next Friday and every Friday, right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Sure. I do know if. Hi no Pashovia? We had lunch one time.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and done and on and on, Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you fifteen to twenty? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys. The podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.